0: You're listening to Irish Radio, Canada's Home and Abroad. And as we all know, entertainment and the gig industry is back in full swing. And coming into Ontario as and from for this week, we have Celtic Illusion. And Celtic Illusion has been touring Canada, has been out west, covering BC, uh, Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and now arriving into Ontario. And uh, we are going to see them coming in as and from Uh, Today, which we have Thunder Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, Oshawa, Montreal, Sudbury, London, Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, Kitchener and Kingston. So a very full schedule and Anthony Street is here with me. Anthony is the lead dancer with Celtic Illusion, has been with Celtic Illusion for uh, a little over 10 years and is a wonderful Australian Irish dancer. Um, I'm going to confuse Anthony and say, Tawfalch wrote um, welcome. <laughs> I'm sure you hear, you, hear, you hear that little bit occasionally. Welcome.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: And uh, your first, this is your first tour of Canada. Uh, so uh, you must be delighted to be bringing the show across the world and across Canada.
1: Well, actually, we were touring Canada in 2020 just before COVID hit. So we're returning to Canada now, and it's great to be back here, back back on the stage. The dancers are all excited. Um, yeah, it's it's a dream come true to be here, really.
0: So before we talk about the show a little, just given what you said, was you were in mid performance effectively, and the rug was pulled from under you. Uh, how have the last two years been then in that environment? And I know particularly for Australia, because uh, you know you would normally home for you is Australia, is it?
1: That's right, yeah, I'm from Melbourne.
0: So, Anthony, as I understand it, you couldn't have got in Once they shut Australia down, you couldn't get into Australia unless you had somewhere to stay. Absolutely.
1: It was was, um, quite the nightmare. It's hard to believe that two full years have actually gone by. But, um, uh, yeah, right before um, COVID hit, I had just gone and got my truck license because... Because I, I own the show and I'm doing tours all around Australia, and I'm always getting things moved around, and I'm very hands-on person myself. So, at the end of 2019, I went and got my truck license. So when I got back to Australia and lockdowns were happening, only essential workers could work. So I thought, oh great, I've got a truck license. I can, I can go and do some temporary temporary work. And little did I know that that temporary work would turn into two years of full-time truck driving to get by. So, um, look, I just did what I had to do to stay afloat, and um, that is all in the past now I'm so glad it's over and done with, and it's just so good to be back here, um, back on the stage again in front of full audiences.
0: Uh, You've just raised another interesting scenario for me, because my understanding of the truck driving industry is that it can be particularly hard on the knees, um that's not everybody might necessarily recognise that.
1: <laughs> not as not as bad as the Irish dancing is on my name, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but,
0: but, so so two years in the truck, uh driving. Uh, so were you covering the whole continent? How like what kind of routing were you doing?
1: I oh, know, so I was still based in um in Victoria around Melbourne. So, um I was actually working for a company called Kumo Tires and <laughs> yeah, I did not picture myself delivering um ties. But um but hard work isn't um a strange thing to me. Like this show started in two thousand and eleven um, and I put every single scent I had into the show that I had saved from the previous tours when I used to work for Michael Flatley in um Lord of the Dance. So I was used to working full-time, saving every single cent on an hourly wage to put into the show, so I guess I just went back to the old days again and just had to do what I had to do, um, but um, thank God I did, because the show is still around. Um, a lot of shows have closed down, unfortunately. <laughs> um, some shows have gone bankrupt, which is absolutely heartbreaking, but we survived it, and we're we're just back touring now, and um, the tour is going crazy, ticket sales are going amazing, and The audiences are loving it so far.
0: So, Anthony, during the two-year period as well, anything that is physical, particularly dancing or be it things like gymnastics or athletics, they require that you stay fit, you stay agile, that you stay fluid and flexible. How did you cope?
1: Absolutely. Um, um, fitness is my favorite thing. I love being physical. That's why I don't mind doing labor work. If I'm out out on a construction site, I like being physical. I like lifting heavy things. I like keeping in shape. I'm really, really specific with what I eat. Um, I'm very, very health conscious because you only get one body. And to do what this job is, it's so, um, it's so much on the body. Every single night, it just takes so much out of me because we're giving so much to the audience. So I have to stay on top of it. So it's a good thing that I that I like it. Um, I love. I'm um, yeah. You know, otherwise, you, you, just, you just won't last because Irish dancing is so intense. Uh, it's it's like doing one number in the show goes for about two to three minutes, mm-hmm. and that is like the only thing I can give you an idea of is like sprinting for mm-hmm. two minutes. And we do that 20 times in the show.
0: So coming back during the last two years then, you must have set yourself a very strict regimen to tie it in with, one, the COVID restrictions, two, now your driving job, and then maintaining a peak level of fitness and the mental health aspect of it.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie. It it wasn't easy over the two years because, I mean, I, I did the best I could. And there was, of course, massive patches where I would lose all motivation because I started to really think my career was over. There was there was just no talk. And as you know, like theater, we need crowds. And the whole thing about COVID was there can't be crowds. So there was no light at the end of the tunnel, which really, really had me scared. Um... So, I just had to just try and stay positive, keep thinking positive thoughts, um, just keep working hard at what I was doing, staying in shape because uh, it's lucky that I did keep working hard at it because all of a sudden in Australia, um, things just opened up out of nowhere. Like At first, I was saying crowds won't be big for a while and as we gradually opened, all of a sudden, rules just started to drop and I had been training really hard at those times as well, so it's luckily that I did, so, yeah. So, Andy, the
0: other aspect of your uh, show, uh, like, how many have you in the troupe uh, and on tour with you?
1: Uh, We've got about 15 performers, we've got um, about uh, 13 dancers, a singer and two musicians that play the fiddle and the flute. Um, I am the male lead in the show, and uh, Natasha um, is the female lead who has literally only just been trained into the role as well. She's amazing. Um a, amazing Irish dancer, um, but the magic is new to her. So the magic added to the role makes it ten times more um, stressful. <laughs> okay, and,
0: and we'll come back to that also. So, again, unlike a lot of other things... During the last two years, given how tightly choreographed, and it is the appropriate term given what you guys do, how tightly choreographed your show has to be, you cannot just kind of pull the dust covers off and go back on stage.
1: No, no, not at all. Um, we we just finished doing a, a two-week intense rehearsal in uh, Las Vegas, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, to be honest. Um, Everyone was still just trying to find their feet. Um, The choreography is really quite um, tricky and extremely challenging. It's not a normal Irish dance show because I've fused elements of um, commercial jazz, contemporary um, influences from Michael Jackson, Bob Fosse. So the Irish dancers were were hit really hard with it as well. So as soon as they came back to it, and the choreography that they were given for this show was just so intense. Um, we're we're still working on it now. I mean, they have it, but I'm still trying to finesse it all as well because it's um it's just so challenging. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because as I said, you know, for the musicians, you can send them the score, you can send them the music, they can practice independently. Even the dancers, to only a little limited degree, would you be able to get them to do anything individually or even in a virtual world on Zoom, so... Yeah, that's
1: actually actually how... the the world has changed with Irish dance shows now, so um, usually rehearsal would be a really long period of time, like two, three weeks. But now producers and directors are sending tutorials and, and dancers are learning the steps for a tour, which is really quite straightforward for an Irish dancer to learn videos, uh, learn choreography off, off a video. But that being said, the choreography for this show, um, we use our upper body a lot more than the majority of Irish dance shows out there. So yeah, it's fine to learn a show off a video. I learned Lord the dance off watching the video at home before I even joined the show, because it's it's just it's a lot straight a lot more straightforward. But the choreography for this show it's very challenging, and learning upper body movements when Irish dancers are not used to that really really um, changes the game.
0: So going back to Lord the dance then, and um, you stepped into what were shoes that were well worn already. Was that a challenge to follow in somebody else's footsteps?
1: Um, It wasn't a challenge because I'd been... Because I started Irish dancing at 14. And most Irish dancers start when they're like five years old or they grow into it when their parents put them in classes immediately as a a child. So I saw Riverdance on TV and I was instantly captivated by it. So I started Irish dancing at 14, which is really like... And I was already trying to copy what they were doing in the videos. So then when I took up Irish dance classes, I picked up the steps really, really fast. And within five years, I was already touring professionally. And before I joined Michael Flatley's show, I had done multiple shows prior to his. And I would picked up and learned the style of dancing that he was doing himself. So that when I joined a lot of the dance, I already knew the choreography to his his role and the entire show. Um, but to perform like Michael Flatley, I mean, I can only dream. Like I can only dream that. I I, I, I still look up to him. I'm still trying to mimic him today, obviously with my own flair. Um, but Michael Flatley is the best, of the best, really. Um, and he's the he's the one that looked to, to look up to, and the one that. Put Irish dancing on the map, as you know, he's made it what it is today, and I'm so grateful for him, to him, for even doing this, because my life changed dramatically. I wanted to work in film and TV. I was only meant to go and do an Irish dance tour for three months, just for fun and experience, save my money and come back and buy a really cool sports car, but that three-month tour has turned into a lifelong career, and here I am today in Canada with my own production. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs>
0: Um, when you talk in terms of um, Michael Flatley and Lord and of Lord the Dance and then Riverdance and everything else, you, uh, you're you not from an Irish background, so well, I Like, where was the hook? Uh, like, was it just that something like on this side of the world where you have PBS and you had uh, various things like Riverdance was on, Lord of the Dance was on and you just happened to see it?
1: It was literally um, a video of Riverdance. I was at my Nana's house, my Nana and Granda's house, and Riverdance had premiered on the Eurovision Song Contest, I think it was '95, and that was when they got the whole world's attention. So, my Nana or granddad, they managed to put a VHS in and record that, that Eurovision Song Contest, and I came across that video and I was just watching it over and over and over and that was the hook. It was literally the vision of River Dance on TV that got me straight away. And I just knew I had to to learn this style of dance that looked so impossible, that that was just so exciting, that it grabbed everyone's attention. Because it grabbed the whole world's attention and there was a, there was something about that buzz that was getting that attention that I wanted to be part of um, and yeah I, I just my nana found classes in my hometown and i'm I'm from country victoria uh, an hour an hour and a bit from Melbourne, and I remember thinking an Irish dance class here in Hillsville I was like, nah, that can't be the real thing that won't be what I'm seeing on t v but I went to the class. And um, I walked in. I remember walking into the door, and the dance teacher was there, and she had the the heavy shoes on, and she was teaching the steps. And I was like, "Whoa, she's doing it! She's doing what I've been seeing on TV. I have to stay. I've got to learn this." And uh, and it was all okay. It was all fading so, from there.
0: So, Anthony, at that stage, you are, and I, I'm, I hope I'm not saying anything nasty, but say a gawky teenager. Um, <laughs> with other cool, gawky teenagers, um, probably in in secondary school. Um, How did it go down when you decided to uh, come back and say, this is what I'm doing? How did your mates take that?
1: Um, Funnily enough, I I kept it a secret. I I didn't tell them. I I was too afraid because that year I'd started football as well. They convinced me to come and play football and... So I do football on a Tuesday and Irish dancing on a Thursday. And all I can remember is thinking, I can't wait to get to Irish dance classes. I'd be at footy training in winter outside in the freezing cold going... (laughs) <laughs> this is rubbish. I want <laughs> I I to get, get back to the hall the and start learning my steps. <laughs> it was just so much more exciting to learn. But when I told them, when I eventually told my friend, they, they didn't care. They thought it was they thought it was kind of cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, well, did you have any concerns then when you were out training for football that you'd injured yourself for dancing rather than twisting a, an ankle? dancing that would Im- inhibit your football.
1: Um, no, I don't I don't think I was that smart to be that concerned. But now I am. Now at my age, I'm thirty eight now and I'm like I'm walking where I I'm watching where I walk now, I'm super cautious now because It can happen so easily. On um, on a tour, a really quick story right now. On a quick tour of New Zealand, I um, I flew over one of the dancers from uh, the UK, who was one of my really good friends, and said to her, come over, we'll do this New Zealand tour. And it was about two and a half weeks long, and about three shows in, she was walking to the bus, rolled her ankle just a little bit on a little bit of uneven ground. I thought, ah, that hurt a little bit. Anyways, opening of the show, um, the big opening number, um, she rolled her ankle and broke her foot. So, so it so easily happens. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Celtic illusion. where did it come from the concept? And tell us a little about it.
1: So um in my touring years when I was um in my early twenties, I I had a big dream of having a, a big magic and illusion show. I was I was into magic at that time. I used to I used to love watching David Copperfield on TV. So I had dreams of having a big magic and illusion show, but then when I started Irish dancing I had a dream of having a big dance show I wanted to do that as well so I literally just thought to myself um I may not get time in in my life to do both these shows so I should probably put the two together and just make one big show of all of it and and that is literally how the concept came about to be honest
0: so then putting something like that together i know you t- you talked in terms of the music of michael jackson and everything uh, the other uh, concepts uh pulling together the diverse concepts like that then would also have given you a tremendous range in creativity uh, and also a tremendous
1: challenge um It actually wasn't a huge challenge, to be honest. It was really, really easy. I I love being creative, and that's when when I'm at at my peak. Um, I'm so familiar with all the illusionists around the world. I used to watch all the magic shows on TV, all the magic awards. I was very familiar with a lot of effects that magicians were doing, and particular effects would stick in my mind, and I would think... Oh, that would be really cool to mix with this kind of dance routine here. Yeah, I could make the lead girl appear here and go into this style of dance, and then at the end of the routine she could disappear, and I could use that type of method. So I was plucking effects here and there um, that I was aware of and p- putting pieces together, which was um, so, so simple. Um, so a lot of inspiration isn't just from... Um, the magician David Copperfield it's from all the illusionists that I had been watching all around the world um, from all these magic shows that gave me so many ideas and I still look up to them now because they influenced my entire career
0: but then Anthony when you put a show like this together that has a troupe of dancers 15 or thereabouts um, are you demanding more of them conceptually Because it's merging of the two, uh, that if it were just a dance show, they're out there doing their dance. But because there's the illusion aspect to it, um, does that make it more challenging for them or, or does it make any difference?
1: No, no, it's, it's more challenging for myself, the lead female dancer, and the crew, because the dancers aren't really involved in the illusions. It's mostly between myself and the female lead and my crew. And, um, and people might think, oh, doing illusions is really easy, just put a girl in a box and stuff, and it does it on its own. That is absolutely not the case, not the magic that we're doing in this show. It is very heavily reliant on the crew backstage. If you could see what was happening backstage, to pull off the effects on the show it is a mad show it's it's just like a it's like a circus back here the dancers are just there presenting it with me and making it look all all pretty and stuff on stage so the the dancers um the dancers aren't as involved. They are involved in some quick change, quick change effects where the, um, the costumes change in like a blink of an eye, and they're sort of running around now with like little things here and there. Some of the dancers have been selected and are part involved in the illusions backstage. I can't go into it too much, mm-hmm. but yeah, when we need a lot of hands on deck to make something happen, the dancers are pulled into that. So that there are there are parts of the show where they're. They're absolutely not Irish dancing and they're helping doing um, staging and stuff. So that's that's something they're not used to, yeah, for sure.
0: I don't think there is any other act out there, based on what I'm hearing, that would be like what you're doing. So <laughs> then, um, how you haven't been to Ireland with this yet.
1: Um, do you know what? I just came from Ireland two weeks ago. I was at a wedding there. And, um, and Ireland is like, is like a second home to me. I've spent a lot of time there. I would be very, very nervous taking an Australian-produced Irish dance show that has magic in it to Ireland, where it all originates from. I would be very, very nervous to go there because I feel like they would be thinking, who is this guy? Who is he thinking he bringing, he's bringing over an Irish dance show? that we made, that we that we created, and doing his own... I just, yeah, I'd be very nervous to do it, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think at the same time, it probably... And I would nearly represent the breath of fresh air um, insofar as the introduction of uh, a whole different perspective.
1: Look, I'm sure if they heard that an Aussie was bringing an Irish dance show with magic, they would probably go... We have to go check this one out. Yeah, one. yeah. So curiosity would definitely get to them. I would say probably, right. <laughs> but they be a very, I feel like that'd be a very, very tough crowd, though. I'd be, I'd be nervous about that. So, so I'm uh, to, um, to, um, to, um, to match. So,
0: right. So, um, given that you've got the show back on the road, literally, and congratulations on that after such a tough period. Um was there any period really in the last time or any time in the last two years where you really wondered if you would ever be able to make, uh, get it back on the road again?
1: Yeah, we had to postpone our Australian tours about three to four times and shifting up to 60 venue dates is not that easy. And we shifted them the last time, which was around September 2021, and... um I was in Melbourne, and Melbourne was in one of the worst lockdowns. And our Melbourne um, state government released a roadmap, which was a timeline of when we were opening up, what would open up, and to what capacity. And nothing was mentioned about full capacity for theatres. And this was around uh, October last year. And I really, really thought at that point my career was done. I really thought it was done. Um, Because that roadmap had been released and there was nothing about audiences over 100 people. And I was thinking, well, hang on. How am I meant to plan my life and career on this roadmap when we're not even mentioned? And everyone else was happy and excited. They were coming out and I was like, we're done. That's it. But then a couple of weeks later, they completely changed the rules and increased it to like 75%. And then all of a sudden, it was back. We were just on. We were back at a full steam, and we were in panic mode because they released that information out of nowhere. So October, November, I was certain my career was done.
0: One of the other challenges on any show like yours—it's one thing to say I'm going on the road; it's another thing to get to venues. I was chatting with Matt Gilson and of the um, Celtic Tenors, and like you, two years ago, their tour came to a sudden st- uh, stop, and. Uh, all of a sudden here in 2020, they're back on the road and they're touring Canada at the moment. They're just wrapping up. And I put it to, to Matthew. I said, how could you get the venues, all the venues, just to fall into place literally nearly at the drop of a hat? And they said, yes, they, they had a good agent and they were able to pull the thing off. But again, for you, to pull something like this off where you can get all your venues back on stream, when things opened up so suddenly, is, uh, I, is it an indication of your ability as an illusionist? Forgive me.
1: <laughs> I wish. It be important. It was out of the hat, left, right and centre. Um, no, um, the, the promoters, Anna and Productions um, are the company that we're teaming with in doing this and they know Canada inside out. But it's all about, it's all about um, booking early and far in advance. This tour has been in place for about a year now. So um, every every time we had to cancel tour dates, we would then plan far ahead again. But um, this tour isn't, like, um, perfectly lined up at all. Uh, we, ha- we live on um, sleeper buses, so we travel overnight. Sometimes it's 8 to 12 hours drive to get from a venue to the next venue. So we're living um, a life um, on, the, on the bus. We're in a hotel right now, but um, majority of the time it's on our, in our sleeper buses, which I absolutely love. We all have our own bunk beds and kitchens and lounge rooms, and our home is the venue. We shower in the venue. We wake up at the next venue. It's a, it's a lifestyle that um, isn't cut out for some people, but I absolutely love it. Well,
0: Anthony, as I said, you're starting out Thunder Bay. Uh, from there to Sault Ste. Marie, that's not too, bar- too far on the bus. From there to Oshawa, uh, a bit of a drive there. From there to Montreal on the 21st, and then back up to Sudbury. So, yeah, you're, I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes. back Sud- Sudbury down to right. London for the uh, 23rd. Hamilton on the 24th. Not too bad there. You'll be able to, you'll have a quiet night's sleep, that one. (laughs) Toronto on the 25th. Uh, Then into Ottawa on the 26th. Back down to Kitchener, so you're heading back down direction again for the 28th and then back up to Kingston uh, yeah. for the 29th and if anybody is looking for tickets the website is CelticIllusion.com that's celticillusio dot com and you'll see all the venues and the dates there with a book now ticket and uh, uh, yeah certainly I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the illusion Happened. Uh, but that's the whole point. <laughs> I can't <laughs> can see the illusion happen. Otherwise, it's not an illusion. <laughs> Street, well, well,
1: I hope it has you on the edge, you It,
0: it Anthony Street, it's been a real pleasure meeting you. It's a real pleasure talking with you. And I won't wish you what they say on the stage because I know it's the last thing you guys need.
1: Regular? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, do you know what that actually really, really means? Take, keep going. Break a leg doesn't literally mean um, anything to do with your leg. So on the side of theatre stages, there are curtains that go from downstage to upstage, and they are called legs. And what they mean by breaking a leg is swishing that curtain to the side and stepping onto the stage.
0: Right. So in that case, break a leg.
1: Yeah. Open the curtain. <laughs> May the curtain stay open for the rest <laughs> of the tour.
0: Take some of million that. Thank you so much.